Welcome to episode 62 of Contested Catch. We are back once again for our week nine recap, taking a look back at the weekend, talking about what we can do on the waiver wire this week, what we can do to adjust based on new information at our fingertips. And of course, with us, as usual, our data specialist, our co-host, our shirtless friend, Jeff Gould. Jeff, how is everything going for you this beautiful day? Oh, uh, fantastic. You know, as you alluded to, it is a beautiful day here in the nation's capital, which you don't really get for this time of year, uh, especially not in upstate New York, where, you know, we hail from. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow is Veterans Day, Will, so I have no idea if we have any veterans or military service men or women who listen to this podcast. If we do, thank you uh, for your service. And, uh, you know, if you're not a service uh, servicemen or woman, uh, you know, just be, you know, thankful for those who uh, have served uh, and helped protect our country over the years. Completely agree. Um, also, you know, extending that to the families of those that have served. Um, <laughs> well said, Jeff. Uh, definitely worth recognizing. And you know, hope I hope we do have some veterans who who listen. Uh, I think that'd be pretty cool. If you do, reach out to us. We'd we'd love to recognize you. Um, Okay, so good stuff, Jeff. We're talking week nine recap, okay? But first, let's get into our DFS recap and talk about how this weekend went. I got to say, before you give us the deets, I'm going to remind everyone that I said on the week nine preview, our DFS preview, I said, I said, Jeff, this was going to be a good week for us. I felt that we were coming out of this rut, that we really had a good read on the situation. I'm not going to spoil what happened, but that was what I said in the week nine preview. You can go check the notes. Jeff, how'd we do? Uh, we did uh, fantastic. Um, our top lineup finished seventh out of about 14,000 lineups. And overall, I think it was 52 or 53 lineups finished in the money. So about just over 33% hit rate in a tournament where about 20% ended in the money. So, you know, really, really good outing. And I mean, the thing is, like, a lot of our top calls didn't hit this week. Julio didn't do as much as we thought. Yeah, you know, but the, the thing that helped us, like, you know, Chase Edmonds, he had a good week. He didn't have, like, a great week. Antonio Gibson, fine. Well, then he had the fumble. Um, Julio, yeah, like Julio, he had 16. But, I mean, what helped, though, was, like, nobody busted that, like, that we were really high on. Uh, like, none of them really busted. Um, but, you know, our process just was spot on. And... Um, no, my Christian McCaffrey call absolutely smashed, though. Yeah, love that. Well um, done. Even though he got hurt at the end, uh, that call was probably – that was our best, like, just individual player call of the game, at least outside of Buffalo Bills legend Josh Allen. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, our top lineup was featured Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Demarcus Robinson double stack, and it had Curtis Samuel on the run back. Um, and then it had Dalvin Cook and Antonio Gibson, Julio Jones. Um, and then I forget who the tight end in defense might have been Giants defense. I don't know. I forget who the tight end was. So, um, you know, that obviously it was the Mahomes Tyreek run back with Samuel. Um, that was like the stack that really like elevated it. Dalvin Cook is just playing on another level right now. He's about to get the Christian McCaffrey 2019 price tag. Um, but then obviously with the Allen Diggs DK, uh, that was another fantastic stack that we were very high on this week. Yeah, man. I, I just felt like we had the best read on this slate. As any since like, you know, those first four weeks. Um, and even then, that was a lot of speculation and, you know, kind of like priors, I think. And now we have so much, uh, you know, historical data in 2020, but also recent data, you know, the last couple of weeks. And so I just felt really good about it. I'm glad that I was right. I'm glad that you made some great, great calls. Um, I think the tool is still working really well for people. I had uh, I had someone reach out on Twitter saying that they used it and placed in four out of six head-to-head lineups and they felt that that was pretty good and that was uh they had justin jackson get injured and even with that they still placed or still won uh four out of six head-to-head so um happy to hear that people are using it and finding success obviously we've had some others uh, have you know even better weeks in tournaments and such so 
Um, anyway, make sure to check that out if you haven't already. ContestedCatch.com forward slash DFS. Um, Jeff, I think we should also give a little uh, SFBX update. It's obviously referencing um, the Contested Catch squad in Scott Fishbowl. Uh, so I talked about it last week. You know, we have, we have previous episodes that are really going into this. So if you haven't checked those out, but the team was 38th out of 1,440 teams. That includes fantasy analysts and celebrities and fans alike. We're thankful to be in there as fantasy analysts. Not quite celebrities yet, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I really just knew that this was going to be a, a little of a dip week because we were just ravaged. And the two fill-ins that I was able to acquire on the waiver wire, Kyle Juszczyk and Jack Doyle, Juszczyk got uh, all of one touch for four yards. So that was sick. Uh, and Jack Doyle got injured in the first quarter. So that wasn't ideal. But even then, we only dropped from 38th to 84th. And, it, you know, just a reminder, it actually doesn't really even matter, like, overall ranking. You just need to make it to the postseason. And then it's a free-for-all, essentially. So it's like, uh, it's like you know, top scores each week. So anyway, uh, still doing well in SFBX. Wanted to update everyone because... You know, we've been talking about it a good bit. We gave it a couple weeks to just see how things played out. And I really feel like we're putting our best foot forward there. So, um, all right, Jeff, let's move on to our fantasy football takeaways now. And we're going to kick it off with uh, a guy we've talked a good bit about on the show, DJ Chark. Specifically, I've been all over this this narrative. Uh, last week I was, um, you know, I'm a fan of DJ Chark. I was very disappointed with the way that his season was going. And one thing we said last week, I think it was the Tuesday episode, um, was that the the move to Jake Lutton um, was uncertain. You know, we don't know exactly how he's going to play, but that uncertainty left room for improvement. You know, it could have been a disaster, a sixth round rookie. It could have been an absolute disaster. But going into the week, DJ Chark was sixth overall in Rock the last three the three weeks. Now he's eighth in Rock the last three weeks. So we lose a week, but we add we add week nine, and his his Rock only dipped a little bit. But the point is that he was sixth in rock the last three weeks and outside the top 100, including running backs and tight ends, in receiving points scored in half PPR. That is absurd. That is so bad. Anyway, it was bound to get better for him if he continued to see that volume. And guess what? It did. He blew up in a big way. 12 targets, seven catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown. Jeff, I want to know, do you think DJ Chark is officially back in the low-end wide receiver two conversation? Do you think this is an outlier performance? I don't know. I mean, Jake Lutton looked pretty good. Uh, DJ Chark, we know, is a great athlete, and he's continuing to see that volume. So what are, you, what are your thoughts here? Oh, yeah. I think he's definitely in that lower-end wide receiver two. Like, you just don't get that much opportunity and not have anything happen. Um, you know, the we should probably just slightly caveat it's Houston who, who's, you know, obviously not a good defense, but like, you know, Chark was still a wide receiver, high end wide receiver too last year um, coming up, you know, the play green Bay this upcoming week, isn't an ideal matchup. Uh, Jair Alexander on the outside has played fantastic this year. Uh, and then it's Pittsburgh again, not a fantastic matchup, uh, but then the next three games, Cleveland, Minnesota, and Tennessee, and he could absolutely smash for weeks 12 through 14. Um, so, yeah, I think he's firmly back into the lower end wide receiver two category. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, this uh, kind of the garbage time situation too, where, uh, you know, Green Bay, and even if he has the tough matchup against Jair, uh, their Jaguars are likely to be behind for much of the game and just have to, throw the ball 35, 40, 50 times that like eventually he's going to get his. So even if it's not an efficient outing, it should still, you know, be sufficient. Agreed. Um, I mean, I think we can't be anything but majorly, majorly encouraged by the production that DJ Chark finally saw. Um, just to give everyone a sense, you know, if we actually expand the sample to the last four weeks, so we include week six, DJ Chark is second overall in rock score. He is second overall in air yard share with 48%. And actually, if we just look at the last three weeks, he's fifth in air yard share with 50% of his team's air yards. That is unbelievable. And, you know, he's really, really finally starting to be the player that people thought they were drafting and that he was last year, too. You know, we know that this was a quarterback play situation that was really depressing his value. So uh, happy to see him on the up and up. Another guy that has been producing Jeff is Christian Kirk. Now, I have been um, on record, you know, down on Kirk. I've been tweeting about it. Um, 
he's got five touchdowns the last four weeks, I think it is. Um, but the thing that I keep going back to is that he is no, the number one overproducer based on the rock. Based on the rock, there is no one who has outperformed their opportunity more than Christian Kirk the last four weeks, as well as the last three weeks. Um, the good news is that Christian Kirk is finally, his rock score is actually climbing, though. He's now 24th in the last three weeks in rock score. That is a good sign because his fantasy points per game has been like sky high. He's been doing great. Uh, it's just been on the back of big plays, but all of a sudden he's starting to see more and more volume. My concern, Jeff, is that this volume is coming at the expense of DeAndre Hopkins, a guy that they obviously went out, acquired, plan to keep, plan to use. I don't see Christian Kirk seeing this volume unless it comes at the expense of someone else. And we've seen, I think, a bigger sample where that hasn't been the case. Now, it's good that his talent is finally shining through and he's finally making big plays happen downfield. It's just, is he really just a big play throughout that happens to be hitting a couple weeks in a row? Or is this like we're starting to see a true season-long breakout occurring for Christian Kirk? What are your thoughts? So after it was week six against Dallas when he had the his first two touchdown game, it was two touchdowns on three targets, including that one that he just got like inexcusably open for the long touchdown. But you know, I was like, okay, you kind of you really just got bailed out if you were playing him because three targets is terrible process. So you should not have been starting him in week seven, most likely. Um, but it was Seattle, so maybe. And then he went, he got eight targets against Seattle. Only 37 yards, though, on five catches, but again, got two touchdowns. So, yeah, like that's where, like, after week seven, like, mm, this might be a little bit of like a, you know, sell high. Not really sure if this is sustainable, but Miami is a very good secondary with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Um, and he went and he's got another eight targets and he went five for 123. Uh, now, I do think. I think Nuke only had six targets on Sunday. Uh, and I don't expect um, Kurt to consistently out-target Nuke by any means. And I uh, would say that probably Miami angled to take DeAndre Hopkins away and force the other receivers to beat them. But that is still like very promising that you see, okay, three targets, but now it's eight and eight. Um, you know, I think that, you know, eight targets a week in one of the – uh, highest paced offenses and you know Kyler is playing a ton better like passing the ball now uh, I do think you can comfortably fire him up now especially week 10 Buffalo Bills um, you know I think we see a good amount of Trey Voigt on DeAndre Hopkins again uh, you know we've seen that match up a couple times in the past when it was uh, Bills Texans and you know the I mean, the Bills secondary defense did really well against um, Seattle, but um, DK Metcalf still got his. But from the matchup perspective, I think we see a lot of Trey Voigt on Nuke, and that, that leaves Christian Kirk going against Levi Wallace and Taron Johnson. And I think he is, you know, could still have a solid fantasy game. And then we 11, he gets the Seahawks again, who we've, you know, is just getting torched, the worst secondary in the league. So, um, for the next two weeks, he's absolutely, um, I think, in play. 12 and 13, they get the Patriots and the Rams. Not the best matchups, but not terrible. And then in the fantasy playoffs, it's the Giants, the Eagles, and the 49ers. And, I mean, that's just really a smash spot. So I, I really think he is a solid wide receiver three with um, big upside to the like higher-end wide receiver two range for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I'm, I have a little bit more of tempered expectations. I think I already kind of laid that out. Um, obviously, we know Kirk is a talented player, and this is a good passing offense. So it was, it was confusing that he, A, wasn't seeing volume in a pretty voluminous attack, but B, that he wasn't really doing that much. Well, you know, the last couple of weeks, five touchdowns the last three weeks. Um, you know, the other thing is that he's cleared 78 uh, yards and or a touchdown in uh, his last five games. That is really, really strong. He's only played seven games. So the first two weeks, he just had a slow start. So, uh, and the other thing is, you know, he saw those eight targets against Seattle for two touchdowns. Uh, that was when DeAndre Hopkins saw 12. And then he saw eight more targets against Miami and DeAndre Hopkins only saw three. So it, it still is happening even when when Hopkins is getting a lot of work. It's just, I don't know. Um, 
it I want to see if his rock continues to climb. Right now he's at 24th. Hopkins is at 14th the last three weeks, and that includes their buy. Um, if that volume continues to climb for Kirk, then I will be very, very, very on board. I may have missed the buy low window at that point, but or I don't even think it's a buy low at this point. Um, everyone's going to point to the production. So anyway, let's move on, Jeff. Um, let's talk about another Arizona Cardinal while we're on the subject. Chase Edmonds. You know, obviously, we've talked a lot about this guy since the summer, uh, you know, many, many weeks as we continue to monitor that backfield. Obviously, he finally got his opportunity with Kenny Drake out of the lineup. And he played 85% of snaps. He had 28 of 30 backfield touches. He was very inefficient. Uh, a lot of people, I tweeted about this, I uh, tweeted as much that he, um, the, the inefficiency people box score watching are going to panic. They're going to feel like, what the heck was I thinking? Chase Edmonds is going to come and do well. Kenny Drake hasn't done all well all season. The inefficiency to me opens up a buy window. Uh, even with Drake, a potential return candidate in week 10, I still think Chase Edmonds is probably going to get the lion's share, even if Drake is active. In this week, and more importantly, I think Chase Edmonds is not going to relinquish that RB1A role the rest of the season. That is speculation. That is assuming rational coaching because Edmonds has run circles around Kenyon Drake all year. But I also think there are some there are some signals there. I've talked about it all season, all summer. Kenyon Drake is not on the team long term, uh, under contract that is. He has not been good. He has not been good historically outside of those eight weeks with the Cardinals in the second half last year in relief. They appear to be an outlier. Meanwhile, Chase Edmonds has been very good uh, in limited work. He's been very good in one of his two starts, if you factor in 2019. So to me, this is a buy opportunity. I think Chase Edmonds is going to get the bulk of the work again. I think he's going to do really, really well when he gets that volume. Jeff, any disagreement on the Chase Edmonds stance that I think that we've had been and been pretty consistent on the last couple months? No, I'm still all aboard the Chase Edmonds train, even though he was, I mean, at least by our expectations, mildly disappointing on uh, Sunday. Um, you know, like no run actually went for more than six yards, but uh, that also just kind of shows like, you know, what his ceiling could be once he, you know, maybe breaks a couple or has a better matchup, i.e. against a porous run defense against Buffalo. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Buffalo, I mean... This this is a this is a dream matchup. I think if anyone is letting Chase Edmonds Chase Edmonds value dip with this potential Kenny Drake return, with the slightly disappointing uh, or the disappointing efficiency in Week Nine, I think we look at Week 10's matchup and say just get him before this. Uh, you know, you know, we could be wrong. The other thing is that Kyler Murray uh, has has been an unbelievable rusher all season long. No no change in Week Nine. He had 11 carries, 100 over 100 yards, and a touchdown. But if anything, think this is why Baltimore's running backs are typically so efficient because, uh, and almost regardless of matchup, with the exception of week nine when no one really did that well, but uh, because Lamar puts so much pressure on opposing defenses with his own legs. Same thing with Kyler and this running game. So I really expect Chase Emmons to rebound in a big way. Yeah, and I mean, he played 66 of the Cardinals' 69 nice snaps. Like that's Chris McCaffrey-esque snap share and volume. Yep. And very similar thing happened when he got his start in relief of David Johnson and the middle midpoint of 2019. He absolutely torched the Giants for 150 yards and three touchdowns. Unfortunately, in the course of that game, he had a hamstring injury. Then they went out and acquired Kenyon Drake. And then the rest is history. I think Chase Edmonds is finally coming into his own. Um, Jeff, a rookie wide receiver uh, that has two J's in his name. That is finally, finally breaking out is not Justin Jefferson. It is Jerry Judy. Uh, both first round picks, obviously. Justin Jefferson has been really, really good all season. Absolutely not talking any smack about him. But Jerry Judy, Jeff, all of a sudden, ninth in rock the last three weeks. More important, well, not more importantly, but what really speaks to that is 24 targets in his last two games. I think Jerry Judy, you know, he's a guy we've talked about from a talent perspective, from a from an NFL draft perspective. So we've, uh, you know, your stance, not to misquote you or anything, but your stance is basically that you think he's been an overrated prospect. You are concerned about his long-term knee health uh, based on the way that his biomechanics work. Um, and I've basically said that the hype is real, that he's a fantastic route runner. And um, so we agree to disagree there. But in terms of the volume we're seeing, all of a sudden, 24 targets the last two weeks, he finally, finally really put it all together. Seven for 125 and a touchdown on 14 targets 
in week nine. Now, these haven't been efficient. He has a less than 50% catch rate the last two weeks, only 11 caught out of 24. But Jeff, is, is it Jerry Judy time in Denver now? I mean, there's no one else for it to be their time in Denver. <laughs> what about uh, Tim Patrick? I thought you were all barely. over the Tim Patrick. Oh, yeah, train. true. He's, he's back. Um, Albert O is done for the season with an ACL. Noah Fant was limping off. So you're looking at like Judy, Hamler, and Patrick. And Patrick's just coming back from the hamstring injury. So, I mean, yeah, I think for you know the season, like, you know, it's super condensed. And this is, you know, uh, like I said, it's going to be inefficient, but they're going to be throwing the ball a ton. So, uh, like, yeah, I think he's kind of in that wide receiver three conversation for this year from the longer term output. Like, yeah, I think he's still a fine player. I but like Cortland Sutton will be back next year and it'll be, he'll be like the, the one and then it'll be Fant, Hamler, Judy, like all behind him. So I still long-term have the, have tempered expectations. Uh, but for the rest of 2020, I mean, you know, where else is the ball going to go? Yeah. And you know, what's encouraging is Tim Patrick was back. I, you know, I assume he's healthy. I'm not positive about that, but um, yeah. So Judy saw 10 targets without Tim Patrick in the lineup. Well, guess what? Patrick comes back, gets nine targets himself and Judy gets four more than he did before. So he had 14 in week nine. Uh, I just think that it's really encouraging. And um, you know, to have the ninth best rock score over the last three weeks is a very good sign for someone to have, you know, uh, wide receiver two utility the rest of the season. At the very least, I think you're, you should be pretty comfortable firing Judy up as a flex option. Um, we, we think that the talent is there. I think the talent is there. And uh, if this volume persists, then, you know, it's not, nowhere to go but up. Drew Locke has definitely flashed moments of brilliance. Um, you know, he's a gunslinger, so that usually bodes pretty well for fantasy players that don't have to suffer the results of his of any sort of turnover. So um, another wide receiver, Jeff, that we talk a lot about is Allen Robinson. And, you know, this guy, I think, has been uh, over the course of the season, if you just average everything out, he's been production wise what we could have asked for. However, if we take a split, if we just, you know, so we're in week we're in week nine. Uh, if we split up the first five versus the last four, there are some concerning trends with Allen Robinson. Um, you know, this is coming from a guy who is a fan of his town. I know you are as well. We think he's one of the best wide receivers in the game. Totally underrated. But Jeff, the first five, his floor was nine targets. Okay. He had no less than nine targets through the first five weeks. The last four, his ceiling is nine targets. And that only happened twice. He had four targets and seven targets at, respectively in week seven and eight. Um, he had in those first five, he had three games over 90 yards and seven or more catches three out of five games. And in the last four, no games above 90 yards. And he only reached seven catches one time. He has one touchdown in those, in those last four, uh, and then two in the first five. So if we just split this up, this is clearly uh, a down downward trend for him and, um, a dip in his overall production. Um, am I reading too much into this, Jeff? I mean, we've also got a, a week 11 bye coming up. Minnesota is a pretty good matchup, but then week 11 bye, Green Bay week 12, Detroit week 13 is a pretty good matchup. Houston's pretty good matchup back to Minnesota and then Jacksonville to finish things off, uh, at least in the standard fantasy playoffs here. Um, you know, what say you about Allen Robinson? Um, I say this offense is awful. Like is like. Bears fans on Twitter are clamoring. Some are clamoring for Mitch Trubisky to get back under center. I mean, that's like that's crazy because Trubisky is awful. Um, I don't know. Like, I think maybe a little bit, little bit of it has to do with the emergence of Darnell, Darnell Mooney, who surprisingly has uh, more air yards than Allen Robinson over the last four games. Um, like uh, Robinson still has more targets, higher target share, but like I, I don't know, that's interesting to me because obviously Robinson's a ton better player. Um, I don't know, David Montgomery's injured now. Maybe that'll just force Neji to air the ball out, and we will see like Robinson get a 15 target game, which would be fantastic. But uh, it's just so dysfunctional in Chicago. I really, you know, don't know how to really read into it other than you just hope that, you know, Robinson's talent overcomes like an awful situation. And then hopefully he signs somewhere else next year. Um, that isn't with Cam Newton and the Patriots. 
<laughs> uh, you know, if I look at the last three weeks, like we've been doing with The Rock, um, last three weeks, Allen Robinson is second behind Darnell Mooney in, in Chicago's Rock score. Uh, Darnell Mooney at 46 and a half, Allen Robinson at 40 and a half, and Anthony Miller is just behind A-Rob with 39 and a half in terms of Rock score. So uh, he's bare, he's like barely above third place in the pecking order right now. And that is un- that's surprising. That's concerning. Honestly, I think the fact that this is a bad offense He's been like, you know, he's been uh, bad offense proof in his career. Basically, you know, he has outperformed uh, expectations because typically he's getting great volume and he's and he makes, you know, do with what he can. It's kind of like the Andre Hopkins uh, era back in Houston pre Deshaun Watson. So uh, all of a sudden, though, that volume is not quite there. I mean, he's third on the team in targets the last three weeks. So. Anyway, worth monitoring A-Rob's progress. Uh, I don't think you want to be selling low on him at the moment. Maybe you want to buy if you think this is going to turn around. I think Nick Foles is playing some of his worst ball that we've seen in his last, like, you know, five, six seasons. So uh, I'm I'm hopeful that this thing turns around. And like you said, you know, if, if David Montgomery's concussion uh, does keep him out of week 10, then maybe, maybe A-Rob's bounce back week comes as soon as this week. Um, Okay, staying in the NFC North, Jeff, we're going to go over to Minnesota. Already alluded to Justin Jefferson earlier when we were talking about Jerry Judy, but we're also going to talk about Adam Thielen here. Now, Thielen versus Jefferson, respectively, 37th and 33rd in rock score the last three weeks. They are both big time underperformers. They've been seeing okay volume, you know, you know, below average relative to the stock that they had coming into these last three weeks. Uh, they've been big time underperformers. Cook has been dominant. But the, more importantly, they have not been producing based on the volume that they've been getting. Adam Thielen is the number one underperformer the last three weeks. And Justin Jefferson is not far behind the fourth biggest underperformer. So the significance here is that the volume isn't really there for either right now. And they're not producing based on that volume. Now, I don't think we should be judging them based on talent at all. If anything, I think this is like when you add in the context, we know that both these players are good. We know that they have been great earlier in the year. So I think these are probably it's probably a good time to buy both because I just don't see Dalvin Cook rushing for 200 yards every single week. I don't think he's going to score every single touchdown for the Minnesota Vikings every single week. So, Jeff, am I wrong to think that it's a good time to buy both Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson? Uh, Not at all. I think it's very fine to buy. Um, Yeah, as you said, there's no way. I mean, Dalvin Cook scored five touchdowns the last two games. And then Herb Smith siphoned off two more um, this past week. So like, you're just not going to, you know, see zero receiving touchdowns. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Kansas City had that one season, but like, um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think they're definitely due. Maybe not this week against Chicago. Um, which also could be a reason for you to get them a little bit cheaper. But then week 11, they played Dallas. Week 12, they play Carolina. Week 13, they play Jacksonville. Week 14, they play Tampa, one of the stout run defense that should give Cook, you know, the running game trouble and force him to throw the ball more. So, you know, after this week 10 game, you have possibly four really good matchups um, that they, like, they have to break out because they're too good um, to, like, not be doing anything, even if Kirk Cousins is, I don't know, Alex Smith 2.0. And I really think that the fact that they're they're both top five and underperforming uh, their opportunity the last three weeks, I think that that really speaks to a, a true, true buy window for both of them. Um, and, you know, I've talked about Adam Thielen all season long, all summer, you know, thought that he was one of the safest picks in fantasy football in terms of getting volume, you know, kind of similar to Allen Robinson. Um, and Justin Jefferson has a- absolutely smashed my expectations for a rookie impact. I thought he was going to surely underperform what Stefan Diggs did in that same role in probably a worse offense. And he has just been unbelievably good. So uh, I definitely think that both are due for a a big, big rebound in the coming weeks. Um, So yeah, definitely keep them on your radar. Jeff, another set of wide receivers this time in the AFC, the eight and no Pittsburgh Steelers are now featuring three unbelievably talented wide receivers, I think. I, you know, I really think that Deontay Johnson is a stud. I think Ch- Chase Claypool is doing everything that I could have hoped in terms of him reaching his ceiling, uh, not even reaching a ceiling, but but trending towards his ceiling uh, so early in his in his career. 
And obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster, we know that you know all the metrics tell us that this guy could be uh, one of the greats of this generation if he continues to trend in this direction. So with that said, Big Ben um, has been great, but he looked to pick up a knee sprain in week nine. Uh, he took a hit down low. He went to the locker room. He came back. Um, he's, you know, we know that this is a gritty guy. We know that he has fought through injuries all career. Uh, if anything, I think this actually bodes very well for Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster. As we know, all season they have been lower dot players running crossing routes over the middle. I think that they might be even more relied upon than they have been. But with that said, Jeff, Chase Claypool, the last two weeks, he has 22 targets and he had 13 week nine targets with a healthy Juju and a healthy Deontay Johnson all game long. So 13 targets with both of them healthy. He had nine targets the game before with with Deontay leaving early. He has now uh, secured 69 receiving yards or more and or a touchdown in five of eight games, including four of the last five. So this was supposed to be like a somewhat raw rookie. You know, second round pick by the by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, and I don't think anyone expected him to come on this hard this fast. But here we are, Jeff. Uh, what is your stance, updated stance on the Pittsburgh wide receiver room? Um, yeah, they're really good. Um, over the last three weeks, like Juju has the best metrics. He scored the most fancy points last week, but he also had the like lowest um target and air yard share. It was really due to the touchdown. If Ben Roethlisberger is not able to go, then well, we all saw what happened last year. And that's, you know, just a damper on the passing game. But as long as Ben is healthy, um, I think you can really just fire up all three of them. Yeah. And and the encouraging thing, you know, I saw Hayden Winks tweet about this. He's like, if anyone tells you with confidence, who's going to be the top uh, wide receiver in Pittsburgh that week. They're lying. They don't actually know. I completely, completely agree with that. Uh, this is a three-headed monster in a good way. They you know they each have 29 targets the last three weeks. A perfect tie there. They are separated in rock score by less than three rock score points. That means that they are essentially getting equivalent volume. Um, and I think the most important thing is to look at who is actually producing based on that volume um, or who is overproducing, who's underproducing, underproducing. Chase Claypool has almost half of the fantasy points that Juju Smith-Schuster does in the last three weeks on essentially equivalent volume. So I think if anything, that says that Chase Claypool is probably due for some positive regression, maybe the inverse for Juju Smith-Schuster. Deontay Johnson can stay healthy for a full game. Uh, he should continue to produce at that wide receiver two-ish level that we've been seeing all year. So Continue to fire up Pittsburgh wide receivers. Bear with them because the ceiling is there and generally the floor is there as well. In the theme of um, talking about, you know, backfield mates, wide receiver mates, let's talk about Antonio Gibbs season versus J.D. McKissick season. <laughs> McKiss season? J.D. Uh, McKiss season? Uh, obviously talking about the backfield in Washington. You know, we've been talking about Antonio Gibson all year kind of talking about J.D. McKissick in a secondary sense and, you know, as a as a blockade for Antonio Gibson to reach his ceiling. However, I mean, week nine was the best example of J.D. McKissick actually, actually, actually getting a lot of really good volume. I mean, by almost every account, J.D. McKissick's volume uh, and, and high value touches in week nine were like top three in the league. Um, just really, really solid volume in week nine. And the really concerning thing is that Antonio Gibson has failed, utterly failed to secure any sort of third down role. I believe he has one third down touch all year. I can't remember who tweeted that, but I retweeted it on Twitter. Um, and he has one third down touch all year. JD McKissick has taken that job and run with it. You know, I replied to your tweet about JD McKissick, Jeff, and I said he hasn't been bad. He's like a really short area, quick guy. He's he's uh, shifty and he's got great hands. He's just not explosive. And, you know, whether the Washington football team should, you know, pivot and use Antonio Gibson in that same role. Obviously, I think they should because of his the stealing that this guy possesses. I don't know why you'd go out and get him. But the fact remains, JD McKissick is getting this role. With Washington expected to continue to probably be like playing catch up, at least trying to stay close with teams or get ahead of them, 
I don't know that we can project Antonio Gibson to have this RB2, high-end RB2 level volume that he seemed to be trending towards if he just isn't getting the receiving work in these scenarios. What, what do you think, Jeff? I don't know. Am I overreacting to J.D. McKissick's ascension here? No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, J.D. McKissick over the last three weeks among running backs has the second highest rock score um, behind only Alvin Kamara. I mean, which is, I mean, he has 17 targets, so, um, which is, you know, behind only Kamara and Fournette. Like, he's getting receiving volume, and um, even if he's not necessarily going to be a good rusher or efficient, like, we've seen running backs in the past carve out wide receiver, or running back two roles, a la James White, just like purely off of, Password, especially in PPR and half PPR formats. Um, you know, and Alex Smith with his, I mean, I've, I've heard he had one of the, one over like the, the lowest A dot in on the season or in the last two seasons, something like that after he came in. So, um, you know, I mean, that's really just not how you can run an offense efficiently. But um, in, I also read that there might, maybe the reason they had in McKissick was like as, uh, protection for Alex Smith. Like they just felt like having him be able to release and Smith just dump the ball off to him uh, because they don't want Smith to get hurt again. I have no idea if that's true or not. Um, but yeah, like, I think the receiving work is going to be, um, you know, like kind of a, you know, desperation play with, um, you know, if you're able to get five receptions from a five plus receptions from a running back, like, Hey, that's like a decent floor, even if you know you're not really racking up a ton of yards or scoring opportunities. Yeah, man, he he was he was second in snap share in week nine, uh, behind only Chase Edmonds. Um, I mean, this guy's getting like legit legit usage. No touchdowns on the season. Uh, he's been actually a pretty efficient runner too when he's gotten the the carries. I think that's probably you know that's why yards per yards per carries bad stat because I think he's getting rushes in obvious passing situations. It's, those are just going to be generally more efficient. Um, so I'm not reading too much into that. But really what's concerning is that J.D. McKissick continues to keep Antonio Gibson off the field. You know, almost at best, Antonio Gibson is getting a 50-50 split with McKissick. And at worst, we see McKissick get 83% of the snaps in Week 9. You know, Gibson actually still got a, a pretty good amount of snaps, like for around 40%, I believe it was. Uh, because yeah, they were 29 some snaps work. per PFF. Yeah. So, um, you know, Gibson is still getting his. It's just he gets phased out when they need to pass. I don't get that. I don't know why you would draft a raw running back who has wide receiver experience if you're going to only use him as a running back and not utilize his receiving skill set. But this is the reality of the situation right now. Continue to monitor Gibson. And obviously, McKissick is in play as a flex as long as he continues to get this receiving work. Um, Jeff, one last thing on fantasy football takeaways here. Are we encouraged uh, by what we saw from Garrett Gilbert in week nine with this Dallas passing attack? I mean, I think that he, well, he's certainly an improvement on Ben DiNucci. We don't know when Andy Dalton will be back. Uh, I, I haven't heard any update. I could be, you know, behind the times there. But uh, Garrett Gilbert, at the very least, you know, threw a touchdown to C.D. Lamb. I think that, uh, you know, 243 yards and a touchdown, one pick. There is at least something there. I mean, Dallas obviously was heavily, heavily invested in in fantasy football. So, what say you? Is Garrett Gilbert uh, the the saving the the knight in shining armor here for Dallas pass catchers? Uh, I think the if there if there is one, it's just not feeding Zeke. <laughs> I mean, these are talented receivers. So, if they're actually going to throw the ball thirty to forty times, eventually at least one or two of them will get theirs. Um, you know, it still wouldn't. Like really love firing up any of them is more than a wide receiver three, um, but I mean hey like you know it was at least better. It's surprising. I think it was more so just like that, like Pittsburgh Steelers road dud that they seem to throw like once or twice a year, and um, but I don't know. I mean the schedule against the NFC East is also like pretty soft. So hey like could you see Garrett Gilbert leading them to a six and ten division title? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. A la the Seahawks, a seven to nine beast quake season against the Saints. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's worth mentioning if we just look at Garrett Gilbert's start uh, in that one game sample, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Dalton Schultz, and then Amari Cooper was the pecking order in terms of rock score. So we know Amari Cooper's probably going to outproduce his opportunity. Generally, we know he's a really, really good player. I think CeeDee Lamb is probably already in that conversation as well as someone that we can expect to outproduce their volume. Um, okay, Jeff, I think it's time to move on to the waiver wire section, and we're going to start with running backs. Uh, in Houston, we saw David Johnson go out with a concussion. He's been, uh, I, I would say that you could you could probably classify him as one of the rare, truly injury-prone running backs. I'm not sure that that is quite fair because we're talking in some cases about a wrist injury, you know, a back injury. Either way, the guy is getting up there in years uh, in terms of just raw age. Duke Johnson is someone that we've long been fans of, and for some reason, his coaches haven't been. So we saw him come in. He wasn't very efficient, but we know this guy's a very efficient player. You know, he's great at running out of shotgun. He's a great receiver. He scored a touchdown. If David Johnson misses, uh, is Duke Johnson uh, an RB2 for you in week 10? 100%. Could this finally be the moment where Duke Johnson gets his? I mean, I hope so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, He's explosive. He was solid in the uh, relief duty this past game, so... Um, yeah, like, I mean, I, I will be bidding pretty modestly on the waiver wire this week. Um, you know, there's things there's like, if, um, David Johnson does miss this game and Duke Johnson comes out and plays really well, I mean, do you, the real question is, could he actually take the starting job or force like a strong 50, 50, um, split with David Johnson? Should he play really well this week? And that is really like where the real um upside of getting him off the waiver wire could come from yeah it's a uh it's a fair fair point there i think that if history suggests anything it's that duke johnson probably won't take over the backfield uh as much as i think we we think he should we think he deserves that chance for whatever reason you know since he's come into the league he has never been really given the keys so we'll see uh, at the very least, if you are desperate for running back depth this week, Duke Johnson is probably a pretty safe bet, even if David Johnson returns to the lineup, just because this guy is hashtag good. Um, Jeff, going to Carolina, Mike Davis, name that people probably didn't expect to hear too much more about this season. We talked about him potentially having a role, earning one. It, you know, I think that's pretty obvious that this guy deserves touches in an offense. Uh, that did not come in, in week nine. Christian McCaffrey coming back from that ankle injury, immediately took back over a Christian McCaffrey-esque role. He saw a ton of usage. He relinquished very little backfield touches to anyone other than himself. Um, In the last drive for Carolina, he picked up a shoulder injury. I have not heard any update on that, so I can't speak to the severity or how concerned we should be about Christian McCaffrey. More so, I think that if Mike Davis is out there on your waiver wire, people said, okay, this handcuff's used up, we're done. You know, Christian McCaffrey's back, RB1 overall. Um... I think Mike Davis needs to be added for the pure chance that this is a more serious injury than it appeared. He seemed to be in pain. I don't know. Uh, Am am I off at all with the Mike Davis situation, Jeff? Nope. Uh, He should never have been dropped to begin with. So if he's out there on the waiver wire, go pick him up. Yeah. And meanwhile, Christian McCaffrey, one last thing on him, 35th in rock score just in week nine. Uh, Obviously, that does not factor in at all his receiving his rushing production. That's only his receiving production. You know, 11 targets, 10 catches. He saw a uh, 20% target share in his return to action. So that it, that bodes very well for Christian McCaffrey's stock rest of season. Um, last one I have for running backs, Jeff, Kalen Bellage. Okay, the Bellagio. Gross. Is he the next in the long line of post-Gase breakouts uh, to leave Adam Gase or leave uh, his shadow in some capacity uh, and then do really well somewhere else? I would say, I'll answer it first, I don't think so. I think we've seen this guy struggle basically everywhere he's been despite the physical gifts that he has with the exception of week nine for the los angeles chargers he came in he was actually pretty effective uh he actually looked good like i watched the game and i saw him you know run hard run through arm tackles push the pile it was unbelievable i think it was jj zacharyson at late round qb on twitter say that Kalen balaj being fantasy relevant would be peak 2020 uh that is the most accurate tweet of the season. So um, any, you know, any sort of reason that you would want to add him, Jeff, in week 10? 
uh desperation <laughs> uh he was i mean he wasn't awful using the next gen stats percent of rushes over expected he was eighth on the week um which you know like I said isn't that bad um you know if you're still kind of banking like on um you know the injuries for you know Eckler like lasting longer and just Jax. Um, I think he was still he was still out snapped by Josh Kelly, 43 to 31. So um, you know, even though he was better or more productive, um, you know, it's not even definitive he would be the lead back going forward if it was like a Balaj Kelly and Pope, you know, show. Uh, I don't know. I'm like not that excited if you're desperate, like yeah, obviously put a few dollars in and fire him up. Uh, you know, close your eyes, cross your fingers and, you know, pray. But uh, I don't I'm not excited about it. Okay, fair enough. I, 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 uh, I'm I, on the same same side of there with you. Um, okay, moving on to wide receivers, Jeff, a guy that will almost certainly be um, one of the one of the hottest names on any any waiver wire column, any waiver wire discussion. And contested catches Jacoby. like very first deep sleeper from 2019 premiere. You're right. You're right. We talked to Jabron Ahmed about uh, that's obviously Bronny Betts. We talked to him about Jacoby Myers. Uh, you know, he, he was coming on in training camp. We thought that maybe he would seize a role in a really decimated wide receiver room. It didn't really happen in 2019, but he has been nothing short of stellar recently uh, for New England. And, you know, not only has the talent, you know, come through and he's actually been a really, really strong uh, receiver, but he's gotten he's gotten uh, ridiculous volume recently. He is second in rock the last three weeks. He is second. He's only behind Devontae Adams. Now it's a pretty reasonable lead. It's a pretty strong lead for Devontae Adams. So no one's really in his tier uh, it's really reminiscent of Michael Thomas in 2019 in terms of volume for Adams. But um, Jacoby Myers, absolutely stupid, 63% air yard share during those last three weeks. By far the best in the league. It's not even close. Um, that is one of the most absurd stats you'll hear in a three-week sample. Yeah, and a 38% target share, which is also number one. Right, and so this comes with Demir Bird uh, coming back into the lineup. Um, Julian no Edelman, Edelman being right, he's out. So, you know, with this said, Jacoby Myers is turning into the favorite target for for Cam Newton, and not only that, but he's producing with that volume. This is kind of like a Travis Fulgham situation, where, hey, you know, sure, it's it, it starts with uh, coming in instead of uh, other players who are injured, and then it ends with them earning that role and continuing to produce with that volume. So, uh, any reason to expect Jacoby Myers? to not be the most worthwhile waiver wire ad you could make? Uh, nope, not at all. He's, I, I honestly think he's low-end wide receiver too, at, um, heading forward. Like, um, at least until Edelman comes back, like, I really think you could fire him up as a low-end wide receiver two or at least a high-end wide receiver three, um, as long as there's no Julian Edelman. And even if Edelman comes back, I mean, Look, he's 34 and been dealing with injuries on and off the last few years. Like he, he, you know, like I, he could maybe be dust. Um, but I mean, interestingly enough, on PlayerProfile.com, um, his best comparable is the player that the Patriots sent a second round pick to San Francisco for last year in uh, most new. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I mean he's a he's a big guy. He's got good hands. Uh, he's been very fluid and and strong in his route running. So uh, I like what I'm seeing from Jacoby Myers, and I hope it continues. Um, uh, moving on, Jeff, to Carolina. Curtis Samuel, guy that you know I was formerly in love with. Um, you know, just unbelievable athlete, not being used in the way that he should have been uh, historically in his career. And then the usage was pretty decent early on in the season, but the, the production wasn't quite there. All of a sudden, Jeff, the last three weeks, he's got uh, last three weeks, six carries 40 or sorry, six catches, 48 yards, six targets, one carry five yards and a touchdown, four catches, 31 yards, a touchdown on five targets, then three carries, 23 yards and another touchdown. And then this week, Jeff, this is the most encouraging one. Nine catches, 105 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets, 
also three more carries. So he's been averaging about three carries per game this season, and that has come uh, at least two of the last three weeks with a touchdown. But most importantly, he saw a season high in volume uh, in week nine. Now he's still outside the top 40 in rock score the last three weeks with all the said that does not factor in his rushing production. But with Christian McCaffrey back in the lineup, Curtis Samuel saw his best day as a Panther in 2020. Is it finally time to be optimistic about Curtis Samuel again uh, after two back-to-back really strong fantasy weeks? Uh, yeah, um, I think that I mean the big thing almost now is that um, like with if McCaffrey's out again, I think you'll see an even larger rushing role this week. Um, if he's like able to walk into five to ten carries as a wide receiver, plus get some of the short work. Um, I think the uh, the one thing that gives me a little pause on the receiving work is that, you know, we've mentioned in the past how uh, Kansas City's a little bit of like that short, you know, like running back funnel in the past game. Well, Curtis Samuel's also kind of a running back. Um, you know, his, you know, he had six, just 60 air yards on, um, all those targets like he was um averaging six um six air yards per target which is like so low and i do think that um dj moore and robbie anderson will see their share of the passing game work more often than not um but if mccaffrey is out again like that's going to expand the rushing role for samuel and still give him like a really solid floor with a pretty good upside to boot now right uh you know one other thing to add just in terms of the bear case for curtis samuel is that he is the seventh biggest overperformer in rock score the last three weeks you know that's obviously again just factoring in his receiving work but it's worth noting that he has outperformed his opportunity by about four uh, points per game if you know if this opportunity it goes uh continues going forward so uh, anyway, I, th- I think it's good to be optimistic about Curtis Samuel. It's just temper your expectations, recognizing, you know, when you add that extra context in, you see, okay, DJ Moore didn't quite do what he's been doing. Uh, you know, Robbie Anderson had a slightly down week. Christian McCaffrey's back. You know, we'll see. Uh, at the very least, these are some of the most positive indicators we've had for him in the, in the last couple seasons. Um, okay, Jeff, moving on to New York uh, with Denzel Mims versus Brashad Perriman. With the Jets, all of a sudden, Joe Flacco looks like he's back to, uh, you know, in some cases, his Baltimore form when they took him to the Super Bowl. He had some beautiful, beautiful downfield passes uh, in week nine against the Patriots. Now, obviously, the Patriots defense was was lacking Stephon Gilmore, but still, they they have some good secondary players. And Denzel Mims is seeing amazing first half volume. Denzel Mims. Uh, and for whatever reason, I have no idea why this is happening, but his second half volume is like non-existent. He goes from being a stud in the first half, a dud in the second. I don't know why that's happening the last couple of weeks. Either way, he is still overall starting to climb. He's now 35th in rock the last three weeks, very quietly starting to see like wide receiver three-ish volume. And Brashad Perriman had a patented big play fueled, uh, you know, touchdown performance, two touchdowns over 100 yards. And, you know, it looks like all of a sudden this 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 New York Jets offense has some teeth. Uh, Even Frank Gore, I was joking to our buddy Kaz, even Frank Gore looked like he was like a 25 year old all all of a sudden. So, uh, you know, with this said, Demsdell Mims is still the ninth biggest underperformer in rock the last three weeks. A lot, lot left to chew on there for. Denzel Mims to uh, produce better going forward. But uh, what say you, Jeff? Is this this West by receiver core anything to be excited about outside of Jameson Crowder? Uh, so one of our favorite friends on Twitter, uh, Drake Jordan, three-time high-stakes fantasy football champion uh, dynasty. Um, you know, he's done tremendous research into Adam Gase and his coaching scheme. And basically what he has found is like it's a offensive scheme that is capable of setting league breaking all-time records uh it's just too complicated for most players to grasp you know you really need an elite talent such as peyton manning to fully unleash the offense uh joe 
Joe Flacco is the former elite dragon. Um, you know, I think maybe we're just finding that Gase finally found another player capable of grasping uh, his system and elevating it to new heights. Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly possible. You know, I just wonder <laughs> what kind of ceiling we could see for Denzel Mims if his name was actually Denzel Johnson. You know, if we add the Johnson score in oh, with man. the Adam oh, Gase man. effect, uh, you know, obviously, it, it, you guys, if you don't, if you aren't familiar with Drake Jordan on Twitter, Dynasty Champ one, I think is his handle. Um, then you are missing out. The that is like peak Twitter satire. Uh, definitely worth a follow. He's a pretty funny guy. So. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, on the serious note, um, I think like Denzel Mims was definitely uh, coming into his own. Um, you know, over the last three weeks, even though Perriman's outperformed him fantasy wise, Mims has outperformed him in uh, most opportunity metrics. So I do think that's promising. Um, I mean, like, I, I don't know, with the way Flacco was playing, like, you know, I do think they're both like kind of startable. Um, I mean, Mims is, like you said, he's one of our big underperformers. So I, you know, think I'd lean t- towards him. But, like, we've seen Perriman, like, be really good when given the opportunity. Uh, down the stretch in Tampa Bay last year with both Evans and Godwin out, like, Perriman played fantastic. So, um, you know, I really think they're both worth ads off the waiver wire if you need wide receiver help right now. Jeff, uh, from a real football perspective, is this the nail in the coffin for Sam Darnold in New York? Um, maybe like this year was already kind of going to be it once, um, you know, they started out Owen six, like you knew they were, they were going to end up at the top of the draft and be taking like Lawrence or fields. So um, maybe not just because if Flacco starts playing too well and ruins the tank, they might have to put Donald back in there, but he's not, this his future if he has a future in the nfl it's not for the new york jets yeah i i think this is i think this is because i think what this tells you is that oh my god joe flacco almost won a game against a, a, a patriots team that finally started playing again like we maybe expect them to um and you know they they barely lost that game you know they're probably ha- overall direction of the franchise they're probably happy they lost that game to help continue to secure a higher and higher draft pick um, I think this was the nail in the coffin because you see Sam Darnold basically not be able to get anything done with this offense. Now, I think he is totally a, a post-gaze breakout waiting to happen. I think he's probably going to be an okay starting quarterback in the league somewhere else. You know, maybe Indianapolis, maybe even Pittsburgh would be a contender to acquire Sam Darnold. I think those would both be good places for him to land. However, I don't think that this is going to happen in New York for him anymore. Uh, I think that the Jets absolutely, you know, from a Bills perspective, I hope this doesn't happen because it's great to not have to worry about the Jets at all. Um, But, you know, they traded Jamal Adams for those for those picks. They've got the most first round picks the next two drafts. I think that they are totally gearing up for a acquisition of another quarterback in this class. And um, so we'll see. I mean, I think they'll probably keep Joe Flacco and get rid of Sam Darnold. Um, That's my guess, at least. We'll see. most importantly, they need to get rid of Adam Gase. Um, Jeff, any tight ends that you are looking at this week on the waiver wire going into week 10? Um, I mean, it's mostly a mess. Uh, Dallas Goddard still out there in just under 50% of leagues on ESPN. So I would check for him. Um, Austin Hooper is available in 55% of leagues. He isn't a bad pickup either. Um, uh, like, Look, it's it's pretty crappy. I think with Jack Doyle injured again in Indianapolis, that Trey Burton and Mo Ali Cox, aka Mo Cox, Mo Problems, it are both worth ads. But um, maybe Gerald Everett. Um, I mean, he's kind of was overtaking Tyler Higby possibly. So um, I don't know. We saw what Higby did down the stretch last year. Maybe Everett can you know, replace him and do something like that again. Then Herb Smith, who we mentioned early in the show, he did just have a two touchdown game. Um, I mean, the targets are absolutely not there. You know, four targets this week, one the week before, five, five. Kyle Rudolph is still out snapping him. But I mean, I don't know. He's a player that I'd like going 
um, into the draft last year. So I do think the talent's there, but the, I mean, the opportunity really isn't there for any degree of like consistency. So you're really just chasing targets. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's like a graveyard. I, I mean, I'm almost to the point where I'd rather ban tight ends than kickers. Well, I know that a lot of people think like, hey, why do we even need the tight end position? Why like force us to play a onesie position, which is almost on every team a touchdown or bust situation? Uh, why not just allow tight ends to be used in the flex? Yeah, you're 100% right. This is a graveyard in tight end uh, per usual, even though it was a really, really deep tight end group uh, coming into the year. I think that we're seeing just it return back to historical levels. So with that said, Jeff, let's wrap up with our Bills recap here. Now, obviously, the Bills played the Seahawks in week nine. Uh, this was a game that both of us expected to be very high scoring. We were spot on there. Uh, both of us expected the Seahawks to have a victory. Um, you know, my exact words basically were high scoring, close, but uh, it comes down to the last possession and, and Russell Wilson pulls it out. Some of those things were correct, uh, you know, at least high scoring and it, you know, at times it felt close, but really it was it was a really dominant performance by this Bills defense. Uh, really, do, you know, and that's even factoring in the amount of passing yards and and production that Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf were still able to to muster. You know, they forced all these turnovers, and the Bills offense was as good as I think we've seen them. Josh Allen was unbelievable. He was that was the best I've ever seen Josh Allen play. I think. Obviously, this is factoring in this that Seattle's defense is one of the worst in the league, especially when you factor in uh, production by opposing wide receivers. So no surprise that that Josh Allen and this offense carved them up, but just still very encouraging that they did. So, Jeff, I come away looking at the seven and two Buffalo Bills team. Very, very encouraged. And, you know, I got to say the last couple of weeks I've been saying we're starting to get the momentum back. And, you know, you did say that you thought that momentum was going to get squashed by the Seahawks. I think that we have pushed past the Seahawks and are now ascending towards the top of the AFC once again. Uh, what are your thoughts coming out of this week nine performance by Buffalo? Absolutely fantastic game. Um, yeah, Josh Allen, like you said, best game, I think, of his career. Only other one that might be better would have been the Dallas game on Thanksgiving last year. Um, and being like, that was just an Island national game, but I think this was better, um, at least with the stakes of, you know, the kind of season, um, yeah, seven and two now, um, I still think the chiefs are the best team in the AFC, even though the Steelers are undefeated. I really think it's close between the Steelers bills and Titans for that, like second best team, in the AFC. And I think the three teams are really all in one tier below Kansas city. So, uh, yeah, let's ride circle the wagons, circle the wagons. No one does it like the Buffalo Bills. Circle no the one motherfucking wagons. No one does it. No one circles them. No one breaks the tables like the Buffalo bills, bills mafia. We're here. Um, guys, just one other note on the bills while we're on the subject, Josh Allen's performance, I think is made even, uh, you know, made even better by the fact that he lost his grandmother the day before, I believe it was the night before the game. He told Coach Sean McDermott that he still wanted to play. He did. He obviously played, uh, you know, again, the best game I think we've seen from him in his NFL career. And uh, Bill's Mafia responded by donating to the Children's Hospital in Buffalo in his grandmother's honor. He was clearly moved by that. He, you know, he professes love for Buffalo and the Bill's Mafia on Twitter for that. Um, just a really great, great move by this fan base in the city to rally around you know, the, the face of the franchise. Um, and so with that said, that that was a rep, or that was supporting the Children's Hospital in Buffalo. I'm sure you could still donate if you wished, uh, if you wanted to hop on the movement there. Um, but yeah, man, you know, last thing on it, Bill's just giving us everything that we could have asked for in terms of being hopeful and optimistic once again for the, the football team. So good stuff. Um, Jeff, as we wrap up episode 62, any final thoughts from you? No, obviously condolences to Josh's family, like heartwarming story out of Bill's mafia. Um, you know, just incredible what like the fans will like really rally behind. Um, you know, no, no other final thoughts. Um, uh, you know, great week for us, great week for the Bills, and let's keep it rolling.
And so, uh, you know, just to remind everyone, in case you are not already aware, we've got our buys and sells looking ahead to week 10 coming out later this week. We also have the Contested Catch-Up, which is our weekly newsletter. I, I uh, tweeted about it a couple of times during Sunday's performances. I, the reason I was just blowing up the feed with that is because I think that things are just uh, really clicking there. I'm, I'm very proud of that product that we're putting out every week. And so I encourage you guys to sign up. You can also check out past editions, both at the same place, contestedcatch.com forward slash catch up. You can also get to it from the homepage, contestedcatch.com. So make sure to check out check that out before it goes out on Thursdays. Um, and then, of course, Friday, Jeff, we record our week 10 preview. Um, you know, that's going to feature a, another DFS preview like every episode on Fridays does. Um, I think that, you know, riding the wave that we had from this weekend where we had a really, really strong performance. I think we are both very encouraged by the slate and a lot of things that we like. Uh, I think we're probably going to see, hopefully, another good uh, DFS preview that leads to another profitable weekend. So with that said, thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you. We wish you the best of luck as you head towards the waiver wire this week, and we will hope to catch you next time.